Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk with G. We are joined by guest Chuck, aka Tech Bro, back by popular demand. And we're just going to get right into it, starting out with the 49ers versus the Seahawks. The 49ers dominated the Seahawks with a score of 28 to 16. Brock Purdy had a dominant game of 19 of 27 for 368 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Christian McCaffrey had 16 carries for 145 yards um, and 9.1 yards per carry average. Debo Samuel had seven catches for 149 yards and a touchdown. Brandon Ayuk with six catches for 126 yards. He did have a fumble. And George Kittle with three catches for 76 yards and a touchdown. Dominant game for the offense. Just a great game all around. There were some hiccups uh, just in the middle, but you knew the Niners were going to win that game. So the way I wanted to address this game with you, uh, Chuck, today is to go through the three components uh, of, of the game. So we're going to start up with coaching, then go to the offense, then go to defense. So coaching, right. I want you to give me your thoughts on Kyle Shanahan's performance. First of all, thanks for having me back, Govin. Um, I have to give a just a quick intro of, uh, you know, my thoughts on how last week went. I think um, my new nickname, I don't know where you got Tech Bro, but my new nickname should be The Locksmith because I <laughs> deliver absolute locks with the Cowboys rolling. Travarius Ward being important. Jeez, our 12 listeners are just, they must just love our show. Uh, just delivering absolute lock. So I prefer the locksmith. Uh, but well, if, if, you, if you keep performing at this level, we could consider renaming you. Absolute lock. Okay. But to your question, uh, Kyle Shanahan. So I would give him grading wise, uh, I think maybe a B minus. Um, I think, you know, he obviously schemed people open, pretty delivered, obviously to Debo, Ayuk. Kittle. Um, what I want to get into is the clock management issues, though. Oh, so, you're, taking, you're taking my my. Oh, okay, I won't. I won't say everything. Let me just. Let me just say this. We're thinking the same thing. Um, if we do not win a Super Bowl, it's because of two reasons: injuries or Kyle Shanahan melts down un- inexplicably with the clock. Like it is unreal. And so I won't step on your toes, but you go. Give no, me your Kyle Shanahan. I mean, it's the same thing. So I just remember back to the Super Bowl where we just kind of mailed it in before halftime against the Chiefs. We could have kind of taken a drive, right? You remember that? Um, and he just decided yeah. to run out the clock. Um, this time was egregious, I thought. We had 55 seconds left, I believe. The Seahawks were kind of pinned towards their end zone. Um, Drew Locke threw it past line of scrimmage. So there's a penalty apparently by rule. I didn't know this. There's a 10 second runoff and you can't decline it. Um, but the clock also starts on the whistle. So Kyle didn't know that rule either. I mean, he's getting paid millions of dollars. He should probably know that rule. Um, he didn't know the clock would start. So he apparently didn't realize until the clock was running and he still didn't call the timeout, even though three times he had three timeouts and they were, it was, it was like second and what, 10, 15 at their own, like seven, something like that. So Unreal. it was like a guaranteed field goal. I was so upset. Twitter was in fumes over his poor clock management. Kyle, unfortunately for all his great attributes, is terribly flawed at clock management. And I think challenging as well. We all remember the Devontae Smith catch last Oh my week. God. Um, but that just was, that just made me Dude, so frustrated. That's just inexcusable. There's just, and then his post game after he, I don't know if you heard it, but he kind of commented on it. It didn't make any sense. He's like, well, that's what I was trying to explain. I, I don't think he yeah. understood the rule. And then he didn't 
once he didn't understand the rule and then he realized he didn't understand what was going on, he still didn't call the timeout. Unreal. Um, <laughs> so yeah, B minus. Um, in terms of offensive, was that your next question? No. So uh, we're we're gonna get into that. So all right, go ahead. B minus, but he does scheme everybody wide open. So you can't hate on him too much. Um, I wanted to, you to get your thoughts on Steve Wilkes and the defensive coaching first. Steve Wilkes and the defensive coaching. Um, I thought they did pretty good in terms of recovering without Charvarius Ward after the first quarter. I think um, Ambry Thomas actually stepped up. So he got absolutely smoked. Um, I think it was the first or second play. What, you're nodding? He did get smoked. He did. He did. Touchdown, literally. I mean, I'm just saying like it's DK Metcalf. People get smoked. Whatever. Yeah. But yeah, that's true. I mean, Charvarius didn't get smoked the game before. Um, It comes out, first play is a touchdown. Yeah, I think it's all around solid. Um, The Seahawks had some fight in them. Um, I didn't see any major red flags. How about you? Yeah, I thought Wilkes coming to the sideline has been a huge boon for the defense and the team overall. He can really look the players in the eye. He can kind of assess the pulse of the team. He can give like real-time feedback rather than communicating through someone else. I don't think the benefits of calling the plays from the booth outweigh the benefits of calling the plays from the sideline where you really get into get into the players' chests and like really understand how they're feeling, get the pulse of the team. So I think ever since he's moved from the booth down to the sideline, he's had a way better feel for how the game's going. I mean he's also interacting with the offensive players too. I think they're, they're yeah the yeah, you see yeah, you fumble. He's like, dude, you got it, man. No worries. I'm like, oh that's that a boy Steve. Exactly. So I, you know, initially I was a big hater this year. I thought he was, he was changing how the Niners were playing defense, how they had become successful, but he's kind of reverted back to that. He's added some wrinkles and I will give him one area of credit. And this is where he's supposedly an expert. I mean, the secondary is so much better than prior years. I mean, we, we, we're going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, one of my key 49ers on defense, but the secondary has been just so much better than prior years. I'll give him a lot of credit for that. Yeah. They haven't missed uh, a beat with Ufunga being hurt at all. That's yeah. I mean, Jair Brown. I mean, he's a rookie. Our guy. Our guy. Uh, we'll get into it. Um, and then special teams, always our favorite topic. What do you think of that? The Mitch Mitch Wisnowski? Dude, my guy Mitch. Okay, so when I was watching that, I thought they I thought they fucked up the punt and he just like bailed and ran, which made it even cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it was a fake punt. I, I didn't actually hear the the result of that, but um number Apparently, one he just kind of did it on his own he just he was, did it on his own right so everyone was reporting that that was a fake punt it was not a fake punt they the Niners essentially he was about to get blocked for uh return touchdown and he just bailed that which makes it awesome yeah he's like fucking Thor running down the sidelines essentially and then hey he's I mean, Australian like Hemsworth so yeah basically it's Chris Hemsworth Liam Hemsworth whoever the Hemsworth brothers are I don't know um but yeah, I unfortunately called back. I thought on a questionable penalty, kind of fell over. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it was pretty badass though. The thing I'll never understand about 49ers special team coaching, uh, why don't they just always kick it out of the end zone? They always try these angled kickoffs for no clear reason. And God, you hate that. I hate so it because good. it doesn't make any sense. It puts the players at risk and they basically just start at the same spot as if you kicked it out of the end zone. So what's the point? You got to have data on that, you know? And then the punt return. In my opinion, almost every team, I mean, I guess I get it. The Ravens had a punt return touchdown, but most teams would be better off just doing nothing on punt returns than having a punt return. I'm, I mean, most of the time it's a fair catch or it's a crazy hit, or sometimes you get like six yards. I think for the 49ers, and I think Kyle Shanahan with how little he cares about special teams, I'm shocked he doesn't just tell the special teams coach just a fair catch every single punt. 
I mean, I feel like the Niners are more specifically cursed with Kyle Williams. Oh my God. Just muffing every punt. Yeah. I think they should just, yeah, call it on that. I, I mean, all right, but let's get into the offense. So I have a couple stats for you to begin, and then I want to get your take. So right. right now, this offense is humming like we've never seen before, really, as fans. I mean, it's been a long time. Dude, run left. Play. First play of the game, run left, yeah. 75 right. yards. Dude, but you, look at this you. Off, this offense could have four 1,000-yard players. So right now, McCaffrey has 437 receiving yards, 1,177 rushing yards and 1,614 total yards. We got Brandon Ayuk with another 1,000-yard receiving season at 1,053 yards. We got Debo, who's just been on fire, one of my top five 49ers, um, 739 receiving yards, 161 rushing yards, and 900 total yards. And then we got George Kittle, 811 receiving yards. He's got two rushing yards. I don't even remember those two rushing yards. Um, and 813 total yards. So there's four players on the Niners right now who could potentially reach a thousand total yards. Give me your thoughts on that. Okay. I mean, on that specifically, I think, I mean, who's, who's, who do you give credit to right there? I mean, I think the players. coaching and then they got badass players. Yeah. I think um, my biggest takeaway from the game was that, so I compare Brock Purdy to let's call him like magic Johnson of the okay. Niners. Okay. So I, I know we're going to like, we're going to harp on this more, but so now he's number one in completion percentage over 20 yards and over 20 yard passes at what? 65%. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely dropping dimes to Debo, Kittle, Ayuk. And even when these guys are running after the catch, right? Just going back to your question, referencing all the yards, that's because the balls are being delivered in tight windows where they don't have to break stride. And he's throwing these anticipatory throws. So they're able to run after the catch and get all these yards because of Brock Purdy's accuracy. Um, additionally, yeah, back to Purdy, still number one in QBR, still number one in pass per attempt, number one in first seed, number one accuracy, as I mentioned. Um, one play that I wanted to really specifically hone in on, okay. and I think this is the difference of people actually watching Purdy play versus just throwing out the take of, oh, anyways, this system quarterback. So, you know, the Debo bomb, right? It's mm-hmm. like a 65-yard pass. So if that were Jimmy G, if you watch the play again, right? So Juwan Jennings actually runs a dig in the middle of the field and occupies Juwan, uh, Jamal Adams. And Jamal Adams kind of bites on Juwan Jennings. Juwan Jennings is standing there absolutely wide open, 10 yards down the field. Jimmy G throws that ball 100 out of 100 times. 100 out of 100 times, Jimmy G checks down. But Purdy sees him, waits, knows that, knows that Jamal Adams is now beat by Debo and just lost it over the top for 60 yard touchdown. So I think um, that play right there represents Brock's decision-making, his ability not to check down. I think he has the lowest percentage of check down uh, percentage of passes in the league or among them um, and his ability to deliver accurately over 20 yards. Those are all not system quarterback things. So my biggest takeaway um Brock Purdy again. I don't even think it's a conversation at this point on offense. Um, yeah, that those are my thoughts. Where, do you, where are you at, Govan? Yeah, I mean, on Brock Purdy, remember when Jimmy, if the ball wasn't in the screen on TV, we would be basically 
worried that it was an interception or a hospital ball. Like if you couldn't see the ball. Now, dude, that same play would be an yeah. attempted check down to Jennings off his hand thrown high pick at the same. Exactly. Now we know with Brock, like every time that happens, I'm like 95% confident it's going to be a pass for a huge gain or yeah. it's going to be an innocently falling like kind of out of bounds. Um, but like for the most part, he is so accurate on these deep bombs. The Debo, um, it was just perfectly in stride too. It's like it, it couldn't have been delivered better by UPS, you know? Um, I love that. Did you hear uh, Trent Williams chat about it after the game? Yeah, he was just like, he does a five minute just defense of like, you guys are just complete fucking morons. I mean, he's like, he probably, if he, every time he has to track to talk to some of these reporters, he's just like, Oh my God, I can't even, but yeah. he, he likes, he's such a, like a gentleman, you know, he's just That's like, nice he gives it like the best political way, but like he's supporting his guy. And I think you made a, the magic Johnson. I mean, these guys just love playing with Brock because they know if they do their job, the ball will be in their hands. Literally. They don't even have to work to get it like jump. something. It's literally going to be delivered right literally to on them. And, on they're, and they're, they're going to be in perfect position for a touchdown this, this year has just opened my eyes to Kyle Shanahan's offense because before I feel like we used to get a little bit frustrated thinking like, why are there always like so many just crossers, like 10 yard cross. Now I realize Dude. Kyle Shanahan's plays have always worked. It's just nobody. They, all, that's a, they always have worked. It's just Jimmy and, you know, Mullins, they're throwing to option a five yards down the field and not waiting for the play to develop. And that's, that's a purdy thing. He finally has his guy. And now you're seeing like, you're seeing what we can do. And Brock, seven straight games of 70% or higher completion percentage. His also yards per attempt is higher than Kurt Warner's during the greatest show on turf years. Wow. Um, like above 9.9. Uh, Brock literally holds the ball longer than I think he should sometimes because he's trying to wait for the open play. And mo more times than not, he hits it. And he reads the field so well that when it leaves his hand, like I just have that most confidence. And even that interception today, I was reading, Kyle was yelling at Ayuk because Ayuk ran the wrong kind of route. Um, so that interception really wasn't even on Brock either because he throws with so much anticipation. You're just going to get some of those miscommunications, but you got to live with that. Just, I have never seen an offense from the 49ers like this. Usually it's like pulling teeth um, to, to get a score. And now we're just throwing 50 yard bombs to yeah. Kittle, to Ayuk. It's just but again, that's last thing I'll say. And I know we got to move on. If you look at even like a Jalen Hurts or Justin Fields, yeah. when they get pressured, their eyes immediately come down to mm -hmm. you know, whoever's pressuring them. Purdy's just staying eyes downfield, waiting for the play to develop. We've seen multiple times when he's thrown it deep and got absolutely lit up because the eyes stay down the field. Like yeah. that's a discernible trait that no one gives him credit for. Yeah. Um, and, and I think anyway. I have to, one last thing on the offense, I may be walking back. My CMC is not in the top five. Most I mean, 75 yard to run to start the game. I thought I'd be like, number six, number six. Uh, Bosa still important, but you know, Bosa, we'll get into Bosa, but, um, CMC is just and strong. Govin stand strong on your number six. What'd you have? Yeah. 16 in the team or something like that. CMC. Okay. Let's go to the defense. Um, we, I want you yeah. to give me three kind of 49ers who are underrated and have had a bigger impact than you expected, um, this year on defense. We know the big guys, Bosa, people Jesus. overrate how good he's been but like i want the three underrated 49ers on defense from your um take all right give me a minute i'm writing these down but 
So number one, I would say is my Charvarius take of last week. Number one, um, I don't have to cover that again, but I actually even think you saw it in this game. I mean, like I said, you recovered, but minute he comes out of the game, DK Metcalf scores, Ambry Thomas flailing in the end zone. Um, we did recover a little bit though. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, I would say Dre Greenlaw. Okay. Um, what do you, I'm curious, what do you think of that number two pick? Yeah, well, well, well let's switch off. So you got Ward number one. I actually have another cornerback. I got the guy you just put a little hate on. I got Ambry Thomas. I think he that had, is my number three. My right, guy. We'll, we'll get into that. Right. So Ambry Thomas, I had written off. He was just another third round Shanna Lynch special. Uh just bust. But he has come on this year. Maybe it's the Steve Wilkes effect, but he has provided really solid cornerback two play. Cause when um Demo moves into the slot. You got Thomas uh, being the second outside corner, and he's been playing great. Even when he does get beat, usually he's in really good position. He just is a slight step too slow. And and DK Metcalf beats a lot of good cornerbacks, but I thought Ambry yeah. Thomas has really stepped up and helped solidify the defense because the Niners often have one good cornerback and nothing else. Now I feel like they have one extremely good cornerback in Ward, one really good cornerback in Lenore, and one pretty good cornerback in Ambry Thomas. So he's my first one. Um, you mentioned your second, Dre Greenlaw. I, I mean, Dre Greenlaw, I, I would agree with Dre Greenlaw, I, but he's he's not my second because I think he's pretty well-known. I think everybody knows I mean, Dre. That, that, that was my issue with the question, right? Like, they're all well-known. Who am I supposed well, to say? I don't but know. My, my number I, two is Javon Kinlaw. I think Javon Kinlaw has stepped up huge this year. I have never seen him provide so much consistent pressure in the backfield and hold up to the run. I, I I feel like in past years, he'd like just push forward blindly without realizing where the running back was or anything, or even where the quarterback was sometimes. But I think this year he has like more focused uh, movement on the line and, and with his uh, bull rushing. Um, and I just think he's provided such a solid impact on the defensive line. Now with Cargrave out and Armstead still hurting, he's a starter. And I think he's a pretty good starter. So he's my number two. Yeah. Okay. So I will, my third, I'm going to, I was going to say Embry Thomas, but I'll actually change mine since he went, I would say Chase Young. Okay. Um, so I think the knock on him is like, yeah, he doesn't have any sacks or not too many sacks. Like he has a couple in, in terms of absolute value of sacks. But if you look at like team sacks, team pressure, since he's been on the Niners, we had six sacks through the first I think it was uh, seven or eight games. And when he joined the team, we've tripled that. I think it's over 14 or 15 sacks as a collective group. And so, like, you can say that, yeah, well, Bosa just turned on the light, whatever it is. But um, to me, it's now they have to leave Bosa. They have to leave Eric Armstead uh, one-on-one, which has just benefited the entire line tremendously. So I'll go Chase Young, even though he's not racking up the sacks. All right. My number three is someone I mentioned earlier, Jair Brown, um, the rookie cornerback, sorry, the rookie safety out of Penn State um, taken last year in the draft. He has come in for Hafunga and there's been basically zero drop off. I didn't think Hafunga was having as good of a year as last year. He looked a little bit slower, was missing more tackles um, this year before he unfortunately went down. He's still a great player, but Brown has come in and I haven't noticed much in the in the way of a drop off. He also seems Crazy. like a ball magnet, just like Hafunga. He has a couple interceptions already. I think he the Niners one one thing they've done well with drafting is drafting um, kind of before the need opens. 
for that player, they draft the guy. And this year it happened a little bit earlier. Hafunga got hurt. I think their plan was to have Hafunga and Gibson in the backfield um, this year and then have Hafunga with Brown next year. But Hafunga got hurt, so Brown's stepping in and he's doing a great job. So he's my kind of third most underrated 49ers defender. Um, and then just to just to finish it off with the 49ers before we get into some quick hitting topics, um, there are some injury concerns, especially on the defense. We got Ward uh, with a groin injury, which has been kind of a chronic issue for him. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Hargrave with a hamstring, never a good injury to have, especially for a big guy. Um, we'll see. We haven't gotten the full details on the extent of the hamstring injury. And then you got Armstead with, it seemed like knee, foot, and ankle. There's there everything. Yes, every old yeah just destroyed perfect yeah, so a couple a couple of things going on there and i feel like drake greenlaw every game like you feel like he's going to be out for the season then he just comes yeah. back and plays there his arm is currently broken he's got a bionic arm on every game it's i'm just kidding but yeah it hurt to get hit by that i feel I like. have no clue he's literally always hurt but just comes back with some piece of metal on his body and just destroys everyone yeah Dom. <laughs> um and then the last thing on the 49ers just give me your quick take on what do you what did you think of the Seahawks um I was actually impressed with the Seahawks effort there they have a backup quarterback in um I think this is six in a row that we've beaten them they're playing away you know I hate the Seahawks so it's hard for me to say but like that was never gonna be a close game um they hung with us more more so than I thought like I thought we'd actually handle them I thought the first half was a bit problematic so I think I took away that they're not an easy out um, hoping, you know, hoping that they can cause some trouble for the Eagles coming up. Yeah, if Gino's not playing, it's going to be tough. But Drew had some moments. Uh, I think Pete Carroll-led teams are never going to be easy outs, but it is crazy. I feel like when Russ, run, when Russ was their quarterback, we barely ever beat them, and now we just beat them every time. Uh, uh, six, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so that kind of wraps up the 49ers' takes uh, from the game against the Seahawks. They are going to be playing the Cardinals this coming week. I think it's going to be a big win. I don't think it's going to be a problem, but I guess we'll have to see. Uh, we're going to transition now into kind of our five quick hitting topics. The first one being live versus the PGA. I know uh, Chuck's been riled up to talk about this, so I'm going to Riled. Give you well, these are quick, so I have to be quick, right? Yeah, this thought. one can be a little longer than quick. All right. Um, so John Rom to the PGA. There's two parts of this. Okay? John Rom to live. Excuse me, to live. John Rom to live. There's two parts of this, right? There's the macro level story, meaning live versus the PGA. And then there's the micro level story of John Rom. So I'm going to start with the macro level story of what is going on in these, this live versus PGA saga. So this is pretty simple to me. Jay Monahan is just a moron. I don't know how else you can put it. He's getting absolutely played. So I don't have this on sourced or anything like that. But from my perspective, what happened was Jay Monahan and the PGA were being bled dry uh, by Liv, so in the in the Saudis, and so they basically came up with a deal in good faith and a framework for a deal to stop the bleeding, stop the lawyer fees that are ba basically bankrupting the PGA Tour. Um, but what became clear over the past couple of weeks is Jay Monahan was negotiating with other private equity groups to possibly take over the league putting their deal with the PIF in doubt and the PIF and the Saudis essentially discovered this um, and just said, you know what, fuck it. If you're going to negotiate with this, I think they're negotiating with the strategic sports group, private equity firm, like, mm -hmm. fuck it. We're just going to keep taking your players. 
So at the macro level, long story short, this is 100% just a negotiation tactic um, from the Saudis. Um, they're now, I think you're going to see an acceleration of them stealing their players. The deal deadline, I believe, is January 1st. So Jay Monahan is just fucking up the league. Even worse, the Saudis are playing him just like a fiddle. I mean, this is just um, an absolute beatdown in terms of the macro level. So um, micro level, I mean... What can you say? John Rom ran a bulldozer over his reputation, um, in my opinion. He's probably number two behind Rory in supporting PGA. Literally commented that Liv was the dumbest tournament structure he's ever seen. Quote that $400 million wouldn't change his life. Three-day tournaments were worthless and that he only cares about legacy. Um, and then a year or whatever it is later, complete hypocrite. He's got a Letterman jacket signing uh on signing in on fox news literally like i've never seen such a big turnaround um that paycheck so, must have been real big dude so 600 million okay but can i just say something i i don't think this is actually that controversial right it's like in my opinion you know you're taking money from allegedly the government who orchestrated 9-11 murdered jamal khashoggi um you can go on and on with human rights violations and this argument of like, well, 600 million, like you don't know what you would have done. It's like, I actually do. Like, I wouldn't have taken it, especially when you're worth 50 to 100 million. You know, how do you tell your kids who you're in bed with, who's paying for all of their things? Um, to me, it wouldn't be a hard decision. Um, and it's embarrassing to golf, to John Rahm, his family, um, and everyone involved. So pretty, pretty I'm, I'm pretty harsh take, I guess. But I mean, I know. think. I think it's an honest stake though, right? But I think there's a lot of concern now because Liv now has Phil, John Rom, Cam Smith, DJ, Bryson, Brooks. We got Patrick Reed, who's won majors, but nobody cares about Patrick I mean, Reed. But he's still good. Gonna be, golf's going to be horrible. Now. Yeah, I mean, so now the P, the problem from the beginning, I've never understood. And now I do understand. PGA, the PGA Tour never owned the majors. So they could never restrict really these Liv players from playing in the majors. So your main the main attraction of the PGA Tour and the, the pinnacle of the PGA Tour is the, the majors, right? So if you could play on live for a zillion dollars, playing way less tournaments, right? Yeah. Way less wear and tear, doing all these ridiculous things. I think the live tournaments are atrocious to watch. The, the telecasts are terrible. But from the golfer's perspective, they're just doing it for money either way, right? They're getting money yeah. on the PGA Tour. They're getting money on live. So... And now that the PGA Tour was then trying to like get a deal with Liv, then they're probably just like, well, I'm just going to go get as much money as possible. I can still play all the majors. They don't, the PGA Tour doesn't even own the PGA Championship. The the, the Liv players can still play there. So the leverage of the PGA yeah. Tour was just not there. And they gave away any remaining kind of leverage <laughs> they had. So there's just... I mean, I Jay Monahan is the one to blame, right? Jay so he's ruined. the one to blame. Rom Rom is a pawn in Jay Monahan's fuck up. Um, Jay Monahan, can we say this? Jay Monahan ruined golf. Oh, 100 percent Yeah. I don't even know where we go from. How here. is he still how is he still in charge? I don't understand. So now that. now we're gonna have split leagues with half the good players, and this is a disaster. You're gonna be playing like John Rahm's gonna be playing. Did Brooks Kepka's brother get demoted and live? Or I don't know. Remember, but you're gonna have you're gonna have these legends, these scrubs. I mean, I just, I mean, there. But the thing is, 
if all these players leave, the PGA sponsors are gonna be like, we're paying sponsors to see you. I mean, I don't we even. Some, we got some up and comers, but like the the best players are gonna be like Colin Murkow, who's not really attracting that much attention. So, who's gonna be sponsoring all the tournaments? Who's gonna be doing all this? I don't. I don't know. I I am. I think the the product is going to be watered down. I don't think the competition is going to be as good. I think Liv is our Brooks Kepa Kepka knows it's a joke. He doesn't even treat it seriously. He's right. just so good. And he just he was honest. He he at least is honest. He's just like, I'm taking it for the money, unlike these other people who are like growing the game of golf. We know that's not true. You went for the growing that dude. I think you're right. I think you're putting putting uh making a good point. Just the way Rom is just so embarrassing. He was like, I like the uh, you know, I like uh, the tournament uh, three day tournaments and I get to play with my team. And it's just like, just say the truth. And then the last thing I'd say, a subtle thing is like, he put it on his family, like, but I have a responsibility to my wife and kid and, you know, they need the money. And it's like, so now you're basically making it like you're a martyr for your family and yeah. that like you're a good person. I mean, what a disaster. Yeah. Shout out Arizona State right there, by the way. Woo. Great institution, I guess. ASU. ASU. Hey, hey, they they could have a potential high. They could they could have the Heisman winner, right? Oh wait, he left. Uh, to wait, go to. Phil go to Mick Mickelson go to. Where did Phil Mickelson go to school? I'm making that up. I'm googling this. Hold on. Uh, we're gonna move on. Go ahead. I think both of us are really frustrated with the state of golf. Um, I want to. I'm gonna go go first on this one. Crybaby Mahomes and the Kansas. Phil Mickelson, Arizona State as well. Sorry. All right. Crybaby Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, Darius Tony was obviously offsides. The Chiefs are not even saying he wasn't offside. They just they just don't want the penalty to be called because they're the Chiefs and they're Mahomes. Mahomes goes up to Josh Allen after telling Josh Allen that that was the worst call ever. I mean, I have been watching the Chiefs get call after call after call. I was at the Super Bowl seeing hold after hold after hold against Nick Bosa. Offensive P.I. Or oh call. God, Yet Kittle. George Kittle like touches yeah, the defender. No offensive P.I. Give me a break. The Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes are a bunch of crybabies just because this year they're not going that great. Well, if Martin, Mar Marquez Valdez Scandling or however you say his name is your best receiver, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, give me a break. You were, uh, it was obviously offsides. He never even asked the ref to, for help on that. Sometimes usually if you ask the ref, like they, they will like push you back, but he was like apparently yeah. over the ball. So the ref couldn't even see the ball. I mean, give me a break. Mahomes is a cry baby. I don't want to hear anything about it. I mean, I have nothing to add. Um, then let's other, move on. Other let's than, I mean, obviously I have something to add. I yeah. talk a lot. But other than, I mean, have you ever seen a quarterback at midfield complain to another quarterback? Like, I've never seen that. Like, I, I feel like I've seen Mahomes whine about other stuff. I That was a sight. Mahomes, fake guy, tough or tough guy, like crying and running around, like too emotional. He's been hanging out with Taylor Swift too much. Stop crushing love story and bad blood and go watch some film with your, your white house, Pat. Jesus. Next, next question. Next one. This is where you're going to shine. Eagles are frauds confirmed. This is where I'm gonna. This is where I'm gonna shine. Back to my nickname, the Locksmith. What did we say, Govin? What did we say? Bet the Cowboys. They're gonna win big. Absolute. Say it with me. Frauds. Fraud. Fraudulent. Yeah. Take the Cowboys all day is what we said. That's right. Um, big story for me is Jalen Hurts is clearly regressing. I think he had 197 yards. He looks uncomfortable. Um, when you look at the Eagles, they come out 
of a 20 when we win by 23. So you come out of a 23 point loss and then you lose by 20 again. Not a good sign. And just going off their cute stat we mentioned last week that was a benefit to them. That's now six games in a row they have not let at halftime. So uh, I'll stick with it. Fraudulent all around. Um, they have a cupcake schedule, but now the Niners have the one seed. Uh, I'll I'll send my rest of my time to you, Govan. I got nothing to add. Eagles, they're frauds until confirmed otherwise. Um, Niners have to beat the Ravens. They have a much that's the game that's much harder than anything the Eagles have. We'll have to wait and see how it goes. Um, we're going to switch gears from the NFL, talk a little bit of basketball. We got our guy Tyrese Halliburton, former Your Kings buddy. legend. Um, he's just having an outstanding season this year. When he was traded for Sabonis, I thought it was a win-win trade. The more and more time has been passing Sabonis is good but he's he is limited and I feel like he does limit the ceiling of your team Halliburton's looking like potential all NBA um just the assist to turnover ratio is nuts um he's scoring at uh, 26.9 points a game he's carrying the the Pacers he plays with such a fun style but Chuck give me your give me your yeah give me your take on Halliburton I think the Kings if they had waited longer to trade Halliburton they would have got a much bigger return um than Sabonis uh Halliburton's fine he's okay overrated my opinion you don't know why his shot looks like Charles Barkley's golf swing have you seen Halliburton shoot a ball what is that hitch I've seen it but unlike Chuck's golf shots his go pure yeah okay I'm just saying if I'm drafting like the worst looking shots ever all-time team it's like him Sean Marion Charles Barkley's golf swing. Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Michael Kidd Um, No, I think Halliburton's up and cut. Michael Kidd Gilchrist. I mean, what am I supposed to say? He's averaging 27 and 12. Um, He's obviously a star in the making, but can we fix that? Like, Jesus, what is that? It's like a jerk. Like a hat. Like, what in the hell is he doing? Spent some time with Steph Curry. My God. He's fine. He's. I think he's good. I think he's being elevated to a higher level i think the in-season tournament kind of elevated his status a lot this year which for the pacers they had i think one national tv game other than in-season tournament this year so nobody watches him um so i think i mean i think Halliburton's a top tier point guard um but real we're gonna quick. go on to our last hold thing. on real real quick in-season tournament um i feel like he kind of got exposed though that last game with lebron so got put on a big stage and got absolutely railed so not a not an argument for him being a superstar. That's all I'm saying. But continue. Go ahead. All right. We got our last topic of the day. It's, this is going to be a quick one. Um, give me and give your audience a TV show recommendation. Oh, a TV show recommendation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd go with The Bear on Hulu if you haven't seen it. Uh, just phenomenal show about a, you know, Chicago and chef. Michelin star kind of came from a CD background, taking over his brother's sandwich shop and trying to make it into a Michelin star restaurant restaurant. Phenomenal show. Must watch. Maybe my favorite show of the year. I agree. Bear is awesome. I think there's one episode with staging, um, which is just one of the best episodes of television I've ever, ever watched. Um, there they go to this uh Michelin star restaurant called Ever. Um, in Chicago and it's just one of the most incredible mesmerizing episodes of television you'll ever watch bear phenomenal show one of the most highly rated shows out there great wreck Chuck um 
that wraps up our show for today. As always, please like, subscribe, share. We're on YouTube. We're on your podcast homes at Spotify and Apple. Um, and we'll be back later this week with another episode. Thanks the a lot. Locksmith. Let's go. All right. Bye. Yeah. All right.